Well, good morning to all you guys joining us out at our Ashley Park campus. We're so excited that you're uh, with us today. And for those of you joining us online, and we're glad you're tuned in as well. Hopefully, you can come and join us in person real soon. And if you haven't been with us for the past four weeks, We've been doing something here that I bet you would never think a church would do. We've been teaching you how to kill a relationship in 30 days. And uh, we've learned a lot. We've, we've talked about what, you want, what are the things that you can do to actually destroy a relationship. And if you just tuning in, what we've learned so far is this. We said the first thing you ought to do to kill a relationship is just communicate in code. In other words... Don't, uh, don't say what you mean. Uh, certainly don't listen to the other person. Just sort of beat around the bush. Just don't do good communication skills, and that'll kill a relationship. And then uh, after that, we said, look, make sure that you always get your way. Don't be flexible. Make sure it's my way or the highway all the time. And then a couple weeks ago, we said, well, if you want to kill a relationship, just keep dwelling on what's wrong. Talk about or think about what's wrong with the relationship. Focus on what's wrong with the other person. And by all means, never focus on what's wrong with you. And then last week, Ed taught us that commitment, that's a big deal. That if you want to kill a relationship, just don't commit. Just don't go all in, specifically when it comes to marriage. And we talked about all of that stuff. But now, of course, you know as well as I do, we don't want to see relationships die. That's not why we did this service. We don't want you to kill your relationship. But you know this as well as I do. Sometimes it's just as important for us to learn what not to do as it is for us to learn what to do. And that's what this series has been all about. And today I'm going to wrap this up. And we're going to sort of land the plane and get the whole thing uh, wrapped up today. And I'm going to just teach you one more thing that'll kill a relationship. And I'll just warn you before I get to it, it's going to sound a little bit counterintuitive to you. And here's what I mean by that. You're, this thing that we all have a tendency to do is mostly what feels natural to us. It's, and in fact, it's so natural, we do it because we think it's going to help our relationships. This is something we do with the intention of making our relationships better. But it's a hidden killer. If you continue to do, the, do it this way, it's actually doing the opposite. Doing this will actually kill your relationship. Now, let me put it this way, and maybe it'll make sense. If I were to say to you, hey, make a list of all the things that you think will kill a relationship, I, be I bet everybody in this room would have some of the same words on their list. You'd probably have words like this, conflict, arguments, disagreements, anger, right? And the reason would be because you would just think back on all of your past relationships and you'd think about the relationships that have died or the relationships that maybe you've killed in your past and you would say, you know what? I know what killed those past relationships. It was those things. It was we argued too much. There was too much conflict. We disagreed all the time and we're, there was just so much anger in our relationship because you would know that that's what killed my relationships. And here's what you've probably said. If I could be in a relationship where we could figure out how not to argue, how not to have conflict, how to agree on things all the time, if we could figure out how to stop disagreeing, our relationship would be better. But I believe that's wrong. I think it's actually the opposite, and I'll tell you why. When two people wind up in a relationship, any relationship, could be married, dating, family, best friends, doesn't matter, Here's what it looks like. It's like we're two parallel lines, and we're connected to each other. That's what makes it a relationship. But we're moving in the same direction. That's what parallel lines do. 
But at some point, we don't always agree on, I mean, when two people get together, you don't always agree on every single thing because, I mean, people are different. We all think differently. We have different ways of doing things. At some point, even though we, we can go along the same trajectory for a long, long time, there's coming a day, there's coming a point when we're going to disagree and our lines are going to turn in on one another. And that's when we collide. And that's where the conflict comes in. It happens in every single relationship. It doesn't matter who you are. And there's always one thing that comes hand in hand when you wind up in conflict. And that is anger. Now, we all express anger in different kinds of ways. You know some people, when they get angry, they yell. They get real loud. You've known some people, or maybe you're the person who withdraws and you avoid your anger. Some people get passive-aggressive. But here's the thing about anger. It's all the same. All of those responses, they all come from the same place. They're all anger. Now, anger in itself is not wrong. In fact, an author named Dallas Willard said this. He said, the primary function of anger in life is to alert me to an obstruction to my will and immediately raise alarm and resistance before I even have time to think about it. See, anger can actually be a positive thing. Anger can help me. Because anger is this emotion in me that signals to me that something's wrong. Something's not right here. Something needs to change. Think of it like this. Think of, of it like pain that you experience in your body. See, everybody experiences pain. What is pain there for in your body? Pain is that sensation that clues you in that something's not right on your body, that there's something being harmed. Pain's the thing that signals to you, hey, whatever you're doing, you need to stop doing that because if you keep doing that, it's going to destroy you. It tells you to go do something else, to change your direction. It's a signal that something's wrong and something needs to be changed. Now, of course, nobody likes pain. Nobody wants to feel pain. But you know as well as I do, if your body lost the ability to feel pain, you'd wind up destroying your body and you wouldn't even know it. Anger does the same thing for us emotionally. Anger is the warning sign or the signal. Something's not right here. So again, anger by itself, it's, it's not wrong. It's what I choose to do with my anger that can be wrong. And what I choose to do with my anger can destroy me and destroy my relationships. But see, most of us approach anger the same way we approach pain. We want to avoid it. We don't want to feel it. We don't want to even address it. We want to get away from it at all costs. Because if we can, you, see, we say this all the time. If you and I could just agree all the time, if we could just not argue, if we could just get along and, and, and figure out how to not have any conflicts, our relationship would be fine. But the truth is, you know this is right. That's impossible. It's an unrealistic goal. Conflict is inevitable in a relationship. Because anytime you get two people together who have different opinions, different ways of thinking, different ways of doing life, they're going to disagree. There's no getting around it. Conflict is inevitable in a relationship. So it's not a matter of if conflict's going to happen, it's when. So avoiding conflict's not just only realistic, uh, it's not only unrealistic, it's not healthy, it's not healthy for you, and it's not healthy for anybody else. Now let me say one thing to uh, the single people here today. Maybe you're single and you're thinking about getting married or you're in the, on the, you know, in the dating scene or you hope to be married one day. And, and, and a lot of times when, when we're 
we're out there looking for the person we want to be in relationship with, what most people think is, I need to find somebody that I can agree with. I need to find somebody that we don't argue any at all. We just, we just get along all the time, and things go smoothly, and, and we don't disagree about anything. Listen, don't do that. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. Do not go looking for somebody that you never argue with, because if you find somebody that you never disagree with, here's what I know is true. Somebody's lying. I mean, somebody's not telling the truth because what's happening is somebody in the relationship is getting taken advantage of because somebody's not expressing themselves and not being who they really are. So don't look for someone who avoids conflict. What you need to be looking for is somebody who knows how to have healthy disagreements, who knows how to argue in a healthy way, someone who can get angry and yet express it in the right way. Now, There may be some of you sitting there thinking, well, I don't even know what that looks like. And the reason you don't know what that looks like is because you've never seen it. Maybe you grew up in a home where nobody handled their anger in a right way. Nobody knew how to handle conflict. They either just blew up at each other and screamed and yelled, or or we just ran off to our room and we didn't deal with it, or we just avoided it. We pretended like it wasn't there. Nobody ever talked about anything because nothing ever mattered, and we just didn't have hard conversations in the place where you grew up. So today, I want to talk to you about three sections in your Bible that teaches us how to have healthy conflict. Now, two of them come straight from the words of Jesus. Jesus said the first two. Now, the third one comes from the Apostle Paul. He wrote the majority of the New Testament in your Bible. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read all three of these, and then we're going to come back to them, and I'm going to make some observations about each one. So let's look at the first one. Here's what Jesus said about conflict. He said, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, just a quick thing I want to point out on this before we move to the other two. I want you to notice there's two things going on in that passage of Scripture. Jesus says two things are happening. The first thing is someone's participating in a religious practice or a religious ritual. The other thing that's going on in the background is a relationship, right? Now, which one in that passage of Scripture does Jesus say takes priority? Simple. It's the relationship, right? See, this is one of Jesus' primary messages, and it's so important for us to remember because a lot of us religious people wind up forgetting this. If your religion places rituals and religious practices above the treatment of people, then you are no longer following Jesus. It is not what Jesus taught. Just a little side note. Let's see what else Jesus said about conflict. He said, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. And then lastly, the apostle Paul said, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So, here's what we can learn from these uh, three statements. First of all, I want you to notice what Jesus said in both of those first two statements. In each of those, Jesus uses the word go. And that just means simply There's a sense of urgency here. There's something that needs to be done. So it's important to understand that Jesus and all the other writers of of the Bible teach that we don't just avoid conflict. They don't teach that you ought to ignore it. 
just keep the peace. Just hope it all gets better on your own. Jesus said, no, there's an action that needs to be taken. Go, do something. And the specific thing he says to do is move toward the other person. Don't move away from them. Don't ignore it. And here's why. It's because you never solve problems in a relationship by turning away from that relationship. I'll say that again. You never solve problems in a relationship by turning away from that relationship. Now, that doesn't mean that you go and smother the other person. It doesn't mean there's not some value in every now and then spending some time alone and taking a break from it. But it means that problems, when they arise in a relationship, you don't solve them by going in opposite directions. The way you solve those problems is by coming together, by leaning into one another, not walking away or turning away to somebody else, or not, not just going out and ignoring the issue. But what Jesus says is that when conflict is handled wisely, conflict can actually be a good thing. It could be something that builds greater love and greater intimacy within a relationship. See, when you work out disagreements, you express your anger or your hurt or your disappointment in the right way, you have the potential to make a relationship stronger. So look again at what Jesus said in that first passage, Matthew chapter 5. He said, when you go to the person that you're in conflict with, he said, what reason do you go for? He says, go and be reconciled. In other words, mend the hurt, mend the disagreement. Go and repair what's broken. Now, that statement talks about our motives, talks about the why we go towards another person. Because when most of us go to the people, when you're angry at somebody and you're going towards that person, <laughs> we have some motives, but the truth is, most of the time they're not very good motives, right? It's like, I'm going to go. Oh, I'm going. But I'm going to go tell him he's wrong. Or I'm going to go tell her what I think of her. I'm going to go vent my anger. I'm going to go set him straight. I'm going to go win this argument. And Jesus would say, look, if that's why you're going, don't bother. Don't even bother because you're going for the wrong reasons. You go in order to reconcile. And I know what a lot of people will say. They'll say, but that's just how I do it, you know. I'm, I'm just being authentic. I'm just being real. You know, I'm just telling it like it is. I'm one of those people that, you know, I just wear my heart on my sleeve, and I just say things the way they, they are, and people are just going to have to understand that's the way I am. I'm just, I'm just speaking my mind. I'm being real. Come on. We all know this. You being real is not a license to vent your anger. I mean, it, being real or venting your anger, setting them straight, winning an argument, is that really for the purpose of reconciling this relationship, for building this relationship up, for repairing this relationship? No. And Jesus says, until that's your reason, until that's your purpose for going to that person, the purpose of reconciliation, you've gone for the wrong reasons. I encourage people to always ask themselves this question. When, when you need to go to somebody and, and, and deal with a conflict, always ask yourself this question first. If I were the person that I'm in conflict with right now, how would I want them to approach? How would I want to be approached? What's the tone of voice that I would like them to use? What, what, what words would I like to be said to me? You spend some time on that question, and I guarantee you, you'll go for a better, you'll go in a better way. You'll go for a better purpose. Jesus says, don't avoid the conflict when it happens. No, go. Go to that person. But when you go, have the purpose of reconciliation as the top priority in your heart. Go with that purpose in mind. But now that's not all Jesus said. Look at what he said in Matthew 18. He said, 
go privately. See, when you're in conflict and you're going for the purpose of reconciliation, think about it. If my purpose is going to make this right again, this is the only way I can do it. I mean, if you really want to repair a relationship, you don't go to someone else outside of the relationship and involve them in it. You don't go to your friends. You don't go to their friends. You certainly don't go to social media. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but I just need a place to vent my frustrations, right? We say that, don't we? No, you don't. (laughs) You know what people mean when they say, I just need a place where I can vent? You know what usually that means? Usually it means I'm scared and I'm stalling. Or it means I'd really like to get some ammunition from some other people so that I can shore up my opinion and shore up my side of the story and I'd have something better to say to them or it'll give me a better chance to win the argument. Or I'm looking for some sympathy from some other people to make me feel better about what I'm, the, the position that I'm taking in this argument. That's what I need to vent my anger sounds like. See... You're looking for somebody just to agree with you. You're looking for somebody just to shore up your opinion so that you can win an argument. And basically what you're going to do is you're just going to pick it up where you left it off last time and you're going to make it worse. I mean, if you want to kill a relationship, you want to break trust with a person, you want to hurt the reputation of a person that you say that you love, then by all means, go. Go find some other people. Go talk to them all about it. Tear them down all you want. In fact, why about you do this? Go on Facebook and put one of those really generic posts where you tell everybody what's going on and how you feel, but you don't use names and and you just beat around the bush a little bit as if people can't figure out who it is anyway. And then you wait for everybody to comment and say, yeah, you go, girl, and you're right, and give it to them, and you're, you're, you're you're the man and all that stuff. I mean, come on. See, this is what people do who have no interest in repairing a relationship or fixing the conflict. But people who do want to see it resolved, who do want to see the relationship get better or the relationship even get stronger, they do what Jesus said. They go to the person privately, one-on-one, before they go to anybody else. Here's another thing that I'm so passionate about. I think this is so important when it comes to this thing. If you ever wind up being that person that someone comes to before they've gone to talk to the person they're mad at or they're in conflict with, man, just don't let them do it. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, man, can I just implore you on this one? I mean, if we would all, as followers of Jesus, just do what Jesus said, our relationships would be so much better. I mean, every time somebody comes to you and they're they're giving you their case and their side of the story and they're telling you who they're mad at and why they're mad and who's done them wrong. I just think if every follower of Jesus would just very gently, with a lot of love, would just do one thing, we could save a lot of relationships. You look right back at that person and you just ask them one question. Say, hey, I can see you're, you're kind of amped up about this and, and I get all that, but I just need to know, have you spoken to that person yet? I mean, have you gone to them one-on-one in private in a way to try and reconcile this and talk to them about it one-on-one? And most of the time, the answer is going to be no. And when it is, you only have one option. You need to push them right back into the relationship. You just need to say, well, then you need to go talk to them first. I, I really, I'm, I'm not the person you need to be talking to. I can't listen. And you just kick them right back into the relationship where they ought to be in the first place. And you just refuse. I will not participate in 
coming in the middle of this relationship, getting roped into it, and damaging a relationship among two other people. And look, I'm not saying that there's never a time to involve other people. In fact, if you read what Jesus said in Matthew 18, you keep reading in the next two or three verses, Jesus gives a clear step-by-step process of how to, how, what happens when the conflict can't be resolved privately between two people. Jesus says maybe, it's, maybe there will be a time when you need to go get some other opinions, maybe to get some help and some advice on this, but not before you first attempted to reconcile in private. Because, see, the good news is if you can do that, and the relationship comes back together and you fix it, think about the integrity that you saved in that relationship, how you saved tearing that person down in front of a whole bunch of other people. You've preserved the integrity of the relationship. And then finally, we come to the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. And in this one, he doesn't use the word go, but it's kind of an implied go. And he tells us when we go, we should do what? We should go and speak the truth to one another, he says. See, once I've decided that my purpose in going to someone who I'm in conflict with is to reconcile with them, and when I've gone privately to them before I've talked to anybody else, here's what I do. I just simply speak the truth in a loving way. And see, we all know what it's like to speak the truth in an unloving way. See, there's a way to speak truth that tears down a relationship, and there's a way that builds up a relationship. See, whenever I have people in my office or count, uh, couples that I'm counseling on this, and we talk about how to deal with conflict, I always say, Here, here's what you need to do first. Whenever you, you, you speak to one another and you speak truth to one another, make sure you stick to what happened and how it made me feel. Nothing else. Don't talk about anything else. Just t- say, here's what happened, here's how it made me feel. You do that, you'll have a much better discussion. In fact, here's a couple of ways that you can do this. I'll just give you a couple, advice, a couple pieces of advice on this. When you speak to the truth to someone, avoid using sentences that start with the word you because you sentences are often finger-pointing, are often accusations. Avoid using words like always and never. Now, most of us, we wouldn't even know how to argue if we didn't use you sentences that say always and never because that's pretty much all we say. I mean, we say things like, you always put me down. You never listen to me. You make me so mad. It's always like, you, 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 you. All I'm doing is I'm just telling you what you always do or what you never do. So instead of those kinds of statements, how about this? How about gently, with love, in full sentences, say what happened and say how it makes you feel? For example, instead of saying something like this, all you ever do is nag. All you ever do is tell me what I've done wrong. How about saying this? Hey, listen, you know sometimes when you come into the room and I'm working on something and, and then you'll point out what's wrong with it or you'll tell me how I should do it or, or tell me how I can do something better? I, I'm, I just want you to know that sometimes when you make those statements, it makes me feel like, well, I'm not good enough or it makes me feel a little bit inadequate or it makes me feel a little bit like a failure. And I just want you to know that that's how it feels sometimes when you speak like that to me. That's a much better way of putting it, isn't it? Or how about this? Instead of saying, you don't even care about me or my life or my schedule. You just do whatever you want to do all the time. How about saying it this way? Say, you know, honey, whenever, you know, sometimes when you come home late from work and you either forget or you just don't call me and give me the heads up and tell me where you're at and when you're going to be home, I just need you to know sometimes it feels like you don't care about my schedule or you don't care about the things that I have planned or what's going on here at the house and just want you to know how it feels to me. Or how about this? Instead of saying, you're such a lazy kid, you're so disrespectful, you never clean up your room, how about this? 
hey, look, honey, sometimes, you know, your mom and I, we ask you to do something around the house, and, and you, you say you're going to do it, but then days later it still hasn't been done, or sometimes it just never gets done. And you just need to know, your mom and I, when you do that, it makes us feel like either, hey, you're, you're just disrespectful, or you're just outright rebelling against us, and I don't know which one it is, but I need to know, what are you trying to say to us in that? But this is how it feels to us. See, the benefit of speaking to one another this way is this. When you stick to, here's what happened, here's how it made me feel, you're inviting the person to communicate with you, and it leaves the door open for a solution, for reconciliation. See, that's why it's so important to check your motive and your methods before you ever speak the words. Because if you do that, once you do speak the words, you're able to speak words that are still truthful, but they're words that will actually lead the relationship toward getting better instead of getting worse. I'm telling you, when two people can learn how to speak to one another this way, conflict and disagreement, they're not relationship killers, they're relationship builders. And some of you don't even have a category in your mind for that because you can't even imagine that it's true, but it is. If you handle conflict correctly, the way Jesus taught, it'll pull you closer, not further apart. It'll give you more honesty, more intimacy, and more love in the relationship. Now, another thing you need to remember about speaking the truth, and this is huge. When you speak the truth to someone, tell the whole truth. And here's why this is important. See, a lot of us, when we talk to someone, especially when it's a, someone we love and we don't want to hurt them, We'll speak the truth, but we'll speak about 90% of it. And then there's always that last 10%, that last 10% that's a little hard to say or it's a little uncomfortable or maybe it's just a little bit embarrassing and we don't want to say it, so we hold it back. Don't hold it back. Say the last 10%, even if it's difficult, even if it feels like it's going to cause a little bit more conflict. Say it with love, but still say it because if you hold it back, that little uncomfortable truth that you aren't willing to say, it'll stick around. It'll stay in your relationship. And the next time there's a conflict, it'll just be fuel to the fire. Here's another thing you never, need, you never forget when you speak the truth, and it's this. The truth is not a weapon. See, we don't deliver truth to other people in order to hurt people. Now, can the truth hurt? Yes. Sometimes the truth does hurt. Sometimes the truth's uncomfortable. Sometimes the truth is just unwanted. But again, it's our motives. We don't speak truth to people because we want to be right or just because we want to win an argument. We don't speak truth to prop up our ego to make us feel better. We speak truth to restore relationships. That's it. And, and listen, I know what you're thinking because I get the same thoughts. You, you want to think about all the what ifs in, in a relationship, especially when there's conflict. And I get it. It, it, it. it feels the same way to me. You know, what if she won't listen to me? What if he doesn't change? Or what if he says this? And you just need to remember, every, relation, every solution, every situation, it's all different. Everything's different between people. You'll never know how approaching another person to resolve a conflict is going to work out. Because again, you've heard me say this before, you can't control other people. You only have control over what you say and what you do. And sometimes, approaching conflict with people, it's going to get messy. Sometimes it's going to get worse before it gets better. And unfortunately, sometimes it won't get better. And for a lot of us, when we think about that, what it makes us want to do is we want to retreat again. We want to start avoiding the conflict and going the other way for the sake of peace so that we don't have to feel that discomfort that always comes with it. 
And I just want to say to you, I get that it's uncomfortable, I get that it's hard, and I know it's not fun, but remember, temporary discomfort is always better than permanently discarding a relationship. Having temporary discomfort right, is better than discarding a relationship because avoiding conflict will keep us at odds with the people in our lives. It keeps us on those different paths of, of collision that we wind up on. It leaves these wounds in us that go undealt with, untreated, unhealed, and in the end, it actually creates more conflict down the road because when we don't heal those wounds, they stay and they keep coming back over and over and over again. And over time, they'll have the potential to kill the relationship. It's better to endure the discomfort for that short time than it is to just let the relationship go untended and, and just watch it get broken. And the reason that I know that's true, it's very simple. Because that's what God did for me. And that's what God did for you. See, our relationship with God, it was broken, right? There was conflict between us and God because of our sin. In fact, the writers of the Bible, they go so far as to say there was, that we were enemies of God. We were in rebellion against God. But see, instead of ignoring that, instead of ignoring the conflict and just hoping that it would get better, God took the initiative. God said, I'll go to them. I'll go. I'll do whatever it takes, and I will reconcile this relationship. And so God became a man, Jesus Christ, and he suffered the temporary discomfort of death on the cross to offer the permanent solution to repairing the broken relationship between me and him. See, when Jesus suffered and when he died on the cross, Jesus did two things. He took upon himself the justice and the punishment that our sin and our rebellion deserved, but he also was revealing to the world, this is how much God loves human beings. This is the kind of love he has for you, a love that will pay any price, no matter how high it is, to bring you back in relationship with your heavenly Father. But the thing about God's love is this, God's love loves too much to force you into it. See, God always loves us to the point where he offers us the opportunity to choose him. He gives us the space to love him back because that's what love does. He gives us the opportunity to trust what Jesus did for us to put us back in right relationship with God. And I know for many of you, you've done that. You've placed your faith and your trust in what Jesus did for you, but maybe some of you haven't. And I feel like Having said all that, it would be a disservice to you if I didn't offer you a chance to do that very thing, to take a next step on this. So I just want to say to you, if today you want G what Jesus did on the cross to apply to you in your life, if you want to have an eternal relationship with your heavenly Father, the one who made you, the one who invited you to call him Father, then you can express that to him right now. You could just say something simple like this. Say, Jesus, right now, I trust in you. I trust what you did for me when you died on the cross and when you rose from the grave. And I ask you, forgive me of my sins. Everything that separates me from a relationship with God. Jesus, I want you to lead my life and I'll follow you wherever you lead me, both from now and on into eternity. You just express that to him right now. Now, if you've done that, whether it was right now today or whether you've done that in the past, and you've never taken that public step of being baptized in water, I'm going to offer you that as being your next step in your relationship with following Jesus. See, baptism is something that all followers of Jesus do. It's this moment where we 
declare publicly the change that God has made in our lives. When we're baptized, we get lowered underneath water and we come back out of that water again. And it's just like when Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. A person dies to their old life, their old sins, their old self, and they get buried underneath water and they rise up with a brand new life to live from now on through eternity. It's kind of like a wedding ceremony where a couple stands up in front of witnesses and they declare their bond and their vows and their love for one another. This is the moment where in baptism I make my my love for Jesus and my willingness to follow him public. And I just want to say to you, if you've never done that, as a follower of Jesus, if you've never been baptized, you can take that step and, and we'll help you with it. Right now, I want to invite you. Go to your campus website, ashleyparkchurch.com, and there's a card there, and it's, it's, it says baptism. You just click in that card and send us your information. Someone will be in touch this week with you. We'll arrange a time for you to... Uh, for you to be baptized, and you can seal your commitment to following Jesus. If you've never done that, you can do that right now or sometime this week. Get in touch with us. That card will always be up on that website. Now, in a moment in our service, we're going to uh, take the time that we do every single week here where we remember the moment when Jesus repaired the conflict between us and our Heavenly Father. We're going to take communion together. We're going to eat and drink those symbols of bread and juice that remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus. That Jesus gave us these symbols that, that would remind us of the love that he showed for us when he came and repaired the breach between us and God on the cross. So the trays are going to come down your aisle in just a few moments, and we're inviting you to eat and drink and take those symbols and thank God for his love for you that was shown in Jesus. But again, if you're here today and you're not at that place yet, and you're not sure you believe this, or maybe just you're not comfortable taking communion with us today, that's okay. You don't need to feel any pressure. You can just let the trays pass right by you and pass it to the next person. Maybe spend the next few moments just contemplating what you're learning about the love of God and what he feels about you. Now, before we take communion today, I've asked the band to come, and they're going to lead us in singing a song that sort of prepares our hearts and our minds and our thoughts uh, for what we're about to experience in communion. So if you'd like to join us, would you stand right now and let's sing together.